talks about the supremacy of love. And for this reason, this is a rich word for us this morning. Because it helps us understand love. And remember, God, God is love, 1 John 4 tells us. It shows us uh, how we can practice love and therefore, as the Apostle Peter tells us, participate in the divine nature. So let us receive this word and let, it, let us let it form our emotions, our attitudes, and our actions towards others. So pray with me as we get into this. God, help us hear your word afresh this morning. Impart your truth on our hearts, powerfully and miraculously. Help us to receive this word. Help it lead us to joy in you. We pray these things knowing that you hear our prayers because we pray them in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So this chapter has three general movements, and this morning we'll go through each of these section by section. The first section is verses 1 through 3. And um, Paul here addresses what uh, love using these four if statements. If I speak the tongues of men or of angels, if I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, uh, or literally all faith that can move mountains, if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship. Now, the nature of the gifts of tongues and prophecy are outside of the scope of this topic. But like I said earlier, what we do know about these is that they are good gifts and should be used for the edification of the church. They're valuable gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I, the verse immediately preceding this says we ought to eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then it says, as Darren read, and yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Meaning love is the most excellent way. Why? Without love, it says, I am nothing. Without love, clanging cymbals. I gain nothing, verse 3. It doesn't matter if I can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have all faith, if I give away all I possess. Without love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. The words we speak, no matter how eloquent, the wisdom we have, no matter how brilliant, the faith we have, no matter how steadfast, the work we do or the money we give, no matter how sacrificial, amount to nothing without love. So this is my first takeaway here is that all of our personal piety amounts to nothing if it's not operating from love. And so we, we have to check our emotions and our motives here. It's not simply enough to look spiritual, but we have to be loving. Now the next three verses are section two or movement two. And um, Paul helpfully addresses what love is and what love is not. And in a day and age where love is such a vague term, Paul gives us a definition or a framework. And notice the theme here. Love does not seek its own advantage. It puts others first. 
It's not self-centered, but it's others-oriented. Additionally, I want to make a comment about this. As I was studying this, I realized that Paul is speaking about both loving actions and loving attitudes or emotions. Uh, some people will say that love is not an emotion. Has anybody heard this? Love is not an emotion. It's a choice. It's a, it's a will. Yeah. Um, and certainly it can boil down to that, right? Sometimes you don't feel like it. But it certainly contains dimensions of emotions, right? I mean, yesterday, as Bonnie mentioned, we were thrilled to invite baby Ethan Garrick into the world. And I wasn't there, but uh, I imagine Matthew and Monica both really have the desire to treat him well. But I imagine they're also flooded with this emotion, this inner warmth a feeling of goodwill, a positive and joyful orientation towards Ethan. And certainly, Matthew and Monica have loving or emotions towards their baby. So love here, I think Paul is saying that love isn't a dull, dry commitment to being patient or kind, right? Actions like kindness and patience actually flow forth from, from love. Just like how the motivations for not envying and not being prideful and not dishonoring others also stem from both the will and the emotion uh, 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 to love others, I think. So let us not grow in a stoic, callous determination to do nice things, but rather grow in a genuine, a, a fleshy, alive warmth towards others that leads us to putting them first. You, you, see, you all see the difference here? So the second, the second takeaway here is that love is both an outward action and an inner goodwill towards others. It's about practices and passions. So for us to mature in love means we must grow in our loving actions towards others and grow by having our hearts expanded so that we might experience more frequently and more deeply goodwill towards others. And what would it look like for us to pray through this each day? What would it look like for us to, to use this scripture as a template for our lives? What would it look like for, for us to use this list as a tool for self-reflection? Ask God, was I patient today? Was I kind today? I think our love and our lives could be transformed by this sort of prayer. If, if we are envious and proud, then it's a love deficiency. If we dishonor others and are easily angered, it's a love deficiency. So let's go to God and ask him to increase our capacity to love others well. And then in the third and final movement, we have Paul tell us that love never fails. What does this mean? He says, prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled, special revelation or knowledge of the divine will pass away. Why? Because there will be no need. These things are gifts to help us experience and help us, the gift of tongues, it says, is to help us speak with God and to understand the deep things of God. But when the kingdom of God is fully realized, 
There will be no need, for we will see God face to face. This is the purpose of the metaphor here in verse, in verse 11. Um, we are in the process of becoming mature. And when completion comes, we will be totally mature. So when we become physically mature, we become happily disengaged with the childish things that used to hold our attention. Right? I no longer play with G.I. Joes. And I no longer sleep with my blankie. Now I value greater things, like my family, like Abby. As we become spiritually mature, we, we also see and value greater things. We see love, and we love it. We want it. We realize that this is a fundamental organizing principle of this world. We understand that God is love, and because God is love, love bridges this world to the next. When we see and experience and practice love, it is actually a reflection of the life to come. The point is, is that the church, we all must be in the present moment, uh, working on the things that will last into God's future. Things like prophecy and tongues and knowledge are simply and merely signposts to the future. When you arrive, you no longer need signposts. Love, however, is not just a signpost. Love is a foretaste of the ultimate reality. Love is not merely the Christian duty. Love is the Christian destiny. Faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is being sure uh, for what we hope for. Faith is, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But soon we will see and, and we won't need to have faith. Romans 8, 24 says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes what they already have? And soon we will see and we will have, and so we won't need hope. See, love is the ultimate reality. Love is our destiny. Love alone survives the transition from this life to the next. So love will exist in the end, just as it has always existed. The Christian idea of love is grounded in our understanding of who God is. Like I said earlier, God is love, First John 4 tells us. God existed before time and before creation as an eternal, loving community. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. Therefore, to grow in godliness means to grow in love. It means to grow in community. To have fruit in the Christian life ultimately boils down to love. And so this is, this is kind of the big takeaway. Like this is grounded in who God is. Because God is love, for us to mature means we must grow in the way of love. Both as individuals and as community. For, for we can't grow to be loving apart from relationship. Love has to work in the context of relationship and community. And this is our vision as a church to, uh, we talk about cultivating Christ-centered community. This is founded on the truth that God is love. So to be Christ-centered means to be centered on love. For community to reflect the character of God means our community is patient and kind and humble and all the other things defined here. 
and this loving Christ-centered community is cultivated as we practice love in our community and as our hearts and emotions are expanded uh, for each other. So we define love here, and then this love defines us. So let us go encouraged and empowered to love. Let us love our families, our friends, and even strangers. And as we do so, we can participate in the divine nature. So pray with me, please.